HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Hey, everyone. This is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end-of-year fund drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. Are you over 2016? Let's talk about 2017 right now with Kate Crater. Trends coming for the new year. Hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. This is the last Tech Bytes episode for 2016. Very auspicious. We saved a bestest guest for the last episode. Yeah. Tech Bytes is the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we're going to be talking about the intersection of trends for 2017 with Kate Crater, the food editor of Bloomberg Pursuits. Hello. Nice to see you again. She is a friend and past guest of Tech Byte. She was on in April 2015 on episode 14. We talked about the Instagram effect. Yes, we did. The Instagram effect is still huge, but we have a lot of other things to talk about for 2017. Indeed. Although we always do kick off every episode of Tech Bytes talking about apps, uh, new ones we've discovered, old favorites that have been living on our home screen. Uh, aside from Instagram, Kate, do you have an app that you like right now? I have to say I have rediscovered Resi, and it is certainly not new. But I feel like in the last um, in the last couple months, there has been it's the word on the street. Um, you know, the new um, when um, Union Square Cafe reopened, they've chosen Resi. Every so many restaurants that I want to eat at are um, are using Resi now, and I did a panel for Bloomberg 
uh, with um, Floyd Cardoz, whose new restaurant is Paywalla, and he made a big push. He talked about how valuable it is for chefs because they sort of have, if someone doesn't show up at the restaurant and they have a six-top just sitting there, Resi, Resi is fantastic at filling those spaces. And it made me think, you know what? Yay, like the whole the restaurant real estate is moving and so so liquid and so exciting and Resi is like helping you get in those seats that are sometimes almost impossible to find. So you have rediscovered Resi because of the restaurants you want to go to being on it and it's just sort of bubbling up in terms of like smart business. That's a good way to say it. I think it works for both. Like it certainly works if you want to get in that restaurant, but I also like to know that it's working for chefs on the other side, um, on the other side of the kitchen door. Well, and if people are interested in it, you can definitely download the app. We also had Ben Leventhal, who's one of the creators and co-founders on Tech Bytes episode 52 um, at the beginning of the year. And he talked about, of course, the evolution of that as well as the evolution of the restaurant world. He's one of the founders of Eater. Eater. He's a genius. A I website mean, I th- people might have heard of. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Speaking of apps and the food world, I think, um, yeah, no, I think Resi has been around for a little bit, but I feel like the power of Resi is growing and growing, and it's a great, it's a great, great resource for people who like to go out to eat, especially at some of the harder to get into restaurants. Excellent. Back in the studio, the voice, uh, back in the booth, the voice that you heard earlier on our year-end plug is David Tattashore, our engineer and the Heritage Radio Network studio manager. Here I am. David, how are you going to close out the year with an app? Uh, Well, I'm sure it's one that we've all heard of, and I'm I'm pretty sure has been discussed on the program as well, but uh, the Heritage Radio Network, we recently started using Slack as an organization. Slack uh, is awesome. Yeah, I I don't think we've really fully tapped its potential yet, because I find that we're still just gravitating to Gchat, like, out of habit more than anything else, probably, but I I think, you know, in the new year we'll have an opportunity to get more used to it, so... I don't know if you have any tips on how to maximize its potential. Well, Slack is definitely one of the apps of choice for the entrepreneur tech generation. I've heard that the video conferencing is great and that it's pretty seamless. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I can work from home is what you're saying. <laughs> or, or from the booth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to close out uh, the apps for this year with something that I, I feel is really... Um, coming front and center in the news, and that is digital security. One of the big stories today and yesterday is how Yahoo had a big security breach. One billion of their accounts, customer accounts, have been compromised. There's the whole uh, Russian hacking, different U.S. email government operations. There's personal security. So I think one of the things that is going to be a big trend coming into 2017 is that I think people are going to be a little more aware of and concerned about their personal digital security. So all of the experts will say that as soon as your account has been hacked or if you want to protect your accounts from being hacked, one of the first lines of defense is passwords. Mm -hmm. So if you need to change a password or create really strong passwords, and the best way to do that is to get one of the password manager programs or apps, and they will help you create amazing, super difficult to figure out and remember passwords that you won't have to remember because it does. Mm -hmm. It will create passwords to password protect your whole book of passwords, and it will also create multiple points of authentication 
for everything so that you have an extra layer of security. So there are a bunch of them that are out there. Most of them have a free component. They also have ones that you can upgrade to for, you know, like 10 or $20 a year. Um, some of them are, some of the good ones are LastPass, Dashlane, Keeper, or KeyPass Password Safe. So I would think about maybe taking a look at those. It's, it's uh, never a bad thing to have too much security for your personal life, especially since we do so much with it. It's not just photos and emails. It's also payment and restaurant reservations and your health insurance and your gym memberships, your your airplane, you know, everything. So just wrote those down. That is brilliant advice. Yep. Password managers. So as I said at the top of the show, this is the last episode for 2016. And we like to take the last episode to take a first look at the coming year. And who better to take a look at the coming year than Kate Crater, who has so many uh, years of making and breaking (laughs) and finding trends. Um, Thank you so much. It is, um, I have to say, as much as you like to look back on on the year and think about, like, your favorite things and your best, the best things that you got to eat and see, it's so exciting to look ahead. And 2017 is a funny year because some years you see the trends front and center, you know exactly what they are. And there's a couple of those. But it's, I think, also going to be a year where everything's going to go. Like, I feel like... I could say almost anything to you right now, and some <laughs> there'll be some evidence of it. But the thing, um, if there's like one trend front and center that I think is going to um, drive the day, it's going to be a focus on food waste. And Tony Bourdain has said, the great, great Tony Bourdain has said that um, it's something he's going to address, and he brings so much power to um, to that conversation. So that's terrific. But even beyond that, the numbers, there's some kind of crazy number, like 40% of the food Americans buy gets wasted, gets thrown out. It's as if if you bought three bags of groceries, you just left one. You're wasting, like, you're wasting money. You're wasting food. It's terrible for the environment. It's kind of ridiculous. And um, different, I've heard different um, chefs and restaurants are going to use different approaches, like making, some people are going to be making cocktails with leftover, you know, if there's like leftover pulp from their oranges, there's a lot of questions about how you can reuse everything from like every part of the fish to to reusing um, your leftover bread. And certainly there's all that reuse from um, from brewers who, you know, when they have like spent grains and stuff. So I am very, very, very excited about that. Food waste is definitely something that the food tech industry is interested in. There are a lot of different companies out there who are trying to make inroads and create solutions. One of the things that seems to be an insurmountable challenge with that is where do you start? You know, when you see hashtag food waste, as we do so much, what does that mean to you? Does that mean food waste in your home? Does that mean food waste as a business? as a small business like a restaurant or food waste as a giant, you know, industrial, like you mentioned before, the, the breweries, for example, really big food waste? It means, you know what, it's, um, that's a great question, and I think that you, co- you can address it in multiple different ways. But if you're a home cook, I saw a terrific movie last year or two years ago, Tom Clickio was behind it too, but this couple decided not to spend any money on food, and they basically foraged, they foraged in dumpsters, behind grocery stores, etc., etc., and that's not as disgusting as it sounds, because 
because grocery stores will throw out like if there's hummus that has supposed to have like a French label on it and it doesn't have a French label, they will just dump dump containers of hummus, like a swimming pool's worth of hummus. And so they lived quite well. But one thing they did, one thing I thought was actually really, really clever was they took um, a sort of box, like one of those things that an ice tray basically, and they labeled it like used by next day. So if it was like a tomato that was getting slightly soft or a piece of cheese that was getting towards the end of its life, you knew that that was something that you should throw into an omelet or make a sandwich or do something with it. And to have food that you know is nearing its expiration date right in front of you with a clear label, they found that to be extraordinarily helpful, and I love that idea. One of the things we've seen coming into focus is a lot of technology around your appliances, home appliances, technology for your refrigerator, technology for your, uh, for your oven, programs and software systems where it will um, help you keep track of what's in your fridge and pantry. It will help you uh, find recipes to make with the things you have on hand versus going out and buying ingredients for specific recipes. So much to your point, using what you have that's consumable right now. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a bunch of different, you know, test kitchens and programs and showrooms around New York City where they're showing off all this fancy technology. Do you think that that's coming? Is that, and you're very much reporting on the front runners in Mm -hmm. technology and food and the luxury markets. Have you been seeing that kind of thing coming? Is yeah. it still too far away to be accessible? Those smart, I, I think everything is smart. <laughs> everything is smarter <laughs> than you right now. There are these amazing cookbooks um, coming that um, they are, they're sort of like wired. They're going, they're going to um, team up with a delivery food service. So, in fact, you can look, you get these recipes. Michael Ruhlman is involved with it, and he's so great. Um and they are, they are, they're designed by chefs. The recipes are designed by chefs all over the all over the country, and in fact, all over the world. I think Renee Redzepi has done some recipes for it. But you're going to be hearing a lot more about that in the new year, in and Dan Barber too in 2017. The sort of like smart, smart cookbook. But I think that that speaks to how your refrigerator can reorder your milk when it knows that it's that you're running low on it. And every just about every appliance, like your coffee, I was at the London Bloomberg office, and you can actually use an iPad to brew your cappuccino now, which sounds straightforward, but in fact, you can just like move this arrow back and forth to indicate the strength of the brew that you want, how much milk you want. Um, there's something that dispenses sugar automatically, so that makes your day a lot better when you can start by just like pressing an iPad and getting your exactly custom-made cup of coffee. It's the Jetsons Kitchen. 100%. It's here. here it's it is. totally here. Truth. Well, one of the early, early shows that we did back in 2014 was with IBM Chef Watson, and that program, uh, the IBM computer, basically they taught it to cook. And what you do is you input ingredients and answer a few questions, mm-hmm. and then it will create a recipe for you. And how did it do? It does really well. It's interesting because it doesn't have the same emotional considerations that people have about what you eat for breakfast, for example, or what you eat for dinner. If you put in that you um, had you know, chili peppers, eggs you know, hummus and fish or something, it could give you a recipe for, you know, glazed fish and rice for breakfast. 
because that's what it would compile without the thinking that, well, in America we don't quite eat fish for breakfast, but you do in Asia. So it's interesting because it has a lot of information, but it um, sidesteps in some ways some of the traditional ways you would view things, which I think opens up avenues you might not have thought of. But it's an interesting idea to create recipes based around what you have versus searching a finite database for recipes with hummus and fish. Yeah, no, there's definitely an emotional attachment that you that people have to cooking that I hope they never lose. We, um, at Pursuits, we highlighted um, some kind of, like, cocktail machine that actually you can program. I mean, you obviously give it the booze, but it has programmed all these different cocktail recipes, and I have mixed feelings about it as much as I know it makes your happy hour, like, maybe that much easier. I feel like I want a bartender or somebody or myself to make me a drink and... There's something about that that I find much more satisfying than having a machine. I mean, machines can make my coffee all day long, but... So you're much more partial to the bartender than the barista? Um, probably. It's, I mean, it's also, I'm, a, I'm not a morning person, so <laughs> that's <laughs> part of it. Famously, you've written cocktail books and things like that. Famously. So maybe I'm, you're more attached to the bartender truly. as a live entity. Yes. Are there other things that you would not want automated? Um... Or that you would want automated? Well, there's that new restaurant that's coming. There's supposed to be um, a sort of refresh of that old classic automat from the 50s or the 60s or whatever. Um, I'm not sure if it's actually opened yet. Has it opened? Is it the one up on Madison in Midtown? Is it? I thought it was downtown, but clearly I haven't been there yet. Or maybe we're thinking of two different things. But, yeah, there's supposed to be an automat. And speaking of the Jetsons, if there's a place like that that you get to go into and sort of have your food just delivered to you, I think um, I think that's fascinating. I don't know how often I'll go. But once again, as per as like my bartenders, I like to have interaction with waiters and servers and chefs and everybody. So that's part of that's part of my DNA as well. But I do think it's fascinating, and certainly you have to look to ways you have to look to make things more efficient, especially with all the new laws that are rolling into, um, especially New York City, but also around the country, which brings us back to trends, which is that we're going to see ever more fast, casual food just because the margins are so tight. And Danny Meyer just told um, just told me I got to do a story with him in pursuits, and it's a game of inches, especially now there's so many good chefs in New York City, so many great places to eat, but food costs are not necessarily getting lower. No, um, labor costs are going labor up. Labor costs are going way up. Rent Real estate's is crazy. Up. So you have to figure out the best way to maximize what you're serving and, and what you're delivering. And a lot of that comes down to to trying to minimizing the number of people you have that get your food from the kitchen to your table. I definitely am 100% in agreement with you on the fast, casual trend not only because it makes economic sense, but I think also Danny Meyer, who's Union Square Hospitality Group, which are, which are you know numerous well-known, game-changing restaurants in New York City, but and he's a little also chain Shake Shack. little chain called Shake Shack. And when Shake Shack had their IPO, on paper, according to the Wall Street Journal, the day after, Danny Meyer was worth $352 million. Hmm. And I think there's also... Sort of a, a big uh, eye in the you know eye in the sky kind of prize for restaurateurs who are similarly creating 
well-respected, well-trafficked, well-loved, brick-and-mortar, mid-range to upper-end restaurants, thinking that, wow, it might be possible to translate this brand into something where, you know, it could be potentially lucrative in an international marketplace. Yeah, no, definitely everybody's looking for concepts to roll out and something like that, whether Dave Chang is going to roll out Fuku chicken sandwiches now that... It's got inroads, I think, at like City Field, and he's opening down in Wall Street. Um, it's really it's it's where the money is at, and I think also someone like Dave Chang, as he gets older, wants to make sure you know he has a he has hundreds, if not now thousands, of people working for him. He wants to figure out how he's going to pay them on a regular basis, and to do that, as we said before, restaurant games is or, or like one restaurant storefront is not going to make you a millionaire unless you have like some great secret that I would want to know what that is. Right. So you need to figure out what the formula is that you can do over and over again that satisfies a craving that people have, whether it's for a Shake Shack burger or a Fuku fried chicken sandwich. Well, right now we have a craving for some Roberta's pizza that I see sitting on the ledge in the control booth. So we are going to take a quick break because we have a famous original with half pepperoni. Yep. That I can see steaming, which but brings us to another trend. That we'll get to talk about another. We'll get to trend. talk about we'll get to talk about trends coming up. And while we take a little break, we're going to hear from our sponsors. Heritage Radio is a five hundred one c three nonprofit, and we subsist entirely on our sponsors and amazing members like Eric Ree of Umilicious dot com. He was in episode seventy six. He's one of our great donors, and we have with us. Dina V, who's one of the Heritage Radio interns, to talk about our year-end member drive. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. Yeah, really happy to be here. I'm a big fan. Yeah, we love to have guests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like you said, we are a member-supported food radio network, um, completely um, subsisting on support from listeners like you. Um, It's the end of the year, and we're doing a big push. Um, We would really love to get you guys to, you know, show some support. We have some really great, you know, we have some really great... uh, Swag. Swag. There's a lot of swag. (laughs) That's what to call it, yeah. Um, To sweeten the deal, we've got some, like, HR and pot holders uh, for $60 if you... Um, donate there and a rad new t-shirt with a really cool new design Um, but yeah we we run 34 weekly shows covering topics from you know food and technology to wine and beer to food policy to crazy ferments you know Um, so help us keep the lights on you know help us bring you the conversations that you want to hear just make it over to heritageradionetwork.org um click on the beating heart on the upper right hand corner and yeah show your support thank you and two things one if you designate your donation for tech bites i will thank you on the air and Mm -hmm. send you the potluck podcast pdf party in a cookbook Ooh, that's a good one. And yeah. the other thing is that this is the year-end drive. If we don't hit our $100,000 mark, we may have to make some really sad decisions. But we have the Chef's Collaborative, who is doubling down on our donations from now until right. what's the end date? Uh, doubling down on our donations until, ooh, I think it's through the end of the year. I don't know. Actually, let's... We'll uh, come back and find we'll out. We'll come I back think, and find out. I think out. it's the twenty. 20- 
I'm looking at you, David. David? He's shaking his head no. Okay, <laughs> we'll find out. But if you donate between now and the end of the year, it's got twice the punch. So let's hear who our sponsor is. Stay with us for more Tech Bites. And this one's by our former intern, Malcolm. We'll be right back. Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sourchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sourchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sourchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. If you're wondering what the hell you just clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly program on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we are so over 2016, we're ready for the year to be done and turn the page. We are sitting with Kate Crater, the food editor of Bloomberg Pursuits, talking about trends for 2017. Yes, we are. So we talked about food waste being a big trend. Mm -hmm. We also talked about fast casual being a big trend. Truly. Um, what else do you see coming? I have to see there's a double, um, there's sort of like a double whammy this side of the coin and that side of the coin. I see ever more um, vegetable-oriented restaurants and places with a vegetable focus. Um, I think one of the great surprises in 2016 was a New York City restaurant called Nick's from a restaurateur, James Truman, with... Um, John Fraser. John Fraser is the chef, exactly. Thank you. Sorry, and, I had pizza in my mouth. <laughs> it's, you know what, what a good excuse. It's, um, but he, they are doing fantastic. Um, they're just doing 
fantastic dishes that make you not really realize that there's no meat on the menu, and they have divided the menu into a sort of um, half-indulgent and then half-virtuous thing, so you can have that kale salad or these, um, I think they do a really nice daikon dish, but then they have a fry bread that's off the chain. So that's great. On the flip side, there's a huge, huge um, focus on meat, like we haven't seen in a while. And, you know, steakhouses are forever. There have been a lot of steakhouses. But now, more than ever, I feel like you're seeing not just steakhouses, but butcher shops. A lot of these chefs have butcher places, like in New York City, April Bloomfield just opened White Gold on the Upper West Side. Um, a place I like a lot, Cannibal, which is also here in New York, just opened in L.A., and they have a butcher shop on the side. So people are able to not just eat this cool meat, but they can buy it if they want to take it home. Bel Campo is, if anyone doesn't know Bel Campo, it's fantastic. This um, badass woman called Anya Farenhold has, um, is raising sustainable meat, and she has a couple branches up and down California, and they have also been pioneers sort of in that, like, you can buy fantastic grass-fed meat or you can eat it there, and it's perfectly cooked. It's interesting that there are two trends that are kind of on either end of the spectrum. You know what? I, I feel like it's part of that everything-goes mentality right now. I mean, here in New York, in the beginning of the year, we saw a lot of Italian. Everybody was doing Italian um, Mario Batali opened a great new place called La Serena. Um, Pesqua, the guys at um, the guys who do Charlie Bird opened Pasquale Jones, which has terrific, you know, terrific pizzas and pasta. And then even Union Square Cafe now has sort of become more Italian focused than they originally were. But now at the end of the year, all of a sudden French is driving the day. And um, Le Cuckoo, the New York Times, and Pete Wells just called it the number one best new restaurant in um, in New York. And I would say, actually, it's the biggest opening here probably in years. It's amazing. The it's impact. a beautiful restaurant. It's and the food is great. And, and it's, it's uh, the French expression would be comme il faut, which mm -hmm. means as it should be. Mm -hmm. And when you go there and you order... Um, a dish, it's exactly what it's supposed to be. It's not an interpretation. It's not deconstructed. It's not reconstructed. It's not foraged. Well, he does. He thinks a little bit outside the box. I think there's some things that I think he reinterprets in a slightly, but not. He doesn't really go off the reservation. And it really brings you back to just the great fun and and the ceremony. I mean, that maybe is too big a word, but how great it is to go out to eat. You know, after all this Brooklyn influence, no disrespect to Roberta's, where we're sitting right now, but after all this, like, reclaimed wood and everything, to go to a place where everybody's, like, the servers are wearing jackets and there's, like, candles on the tables and... Tablecloths. And tablecloths, and it's really... And it's just magnificent. It, it brings you back to how fantastic it is to go... That it's a treat. It can be a real treat to go out to eat. Likewise, Augustine from Keith McNally, who's beloved for Balthazar, um, he just opened Augustine down in the gorgeous Beekman um, Hotel, and that is that's such a treat. So I feel like the year started off with Italian, and now it's rolling into French, at least here in New York City, in a way that I feel excited about. Well, this is a perfect segue. You set me up perfectly. Good. We asked... Listeners for questions for you on social media. And we had a question that was posted to our Facebook page, the Tech Bytes HRN in Facebook, from Matthew McAlpern, who asks, <laughs> is it 
still a possibility to eat well, but also inexpensively in Manhattan. So many of the end of the year best of lists are places that cost upwards of $100 a person. What are the new affordable places or trends that you are excited about? I um, I love this question. I have to say I love this question because um, it's absolutely true. And as we were talking about before with all the new costs and like real estate and stuff, restaurants are not going to are not really going to be getting cheaper. They're not. Um, so you, I, you could almost say that the cost of doing business has gone up 20 or 25 percent. But I don't know that consumers are ready to just pay 20 or 25 percent more for the same product. Yeah. No, it depends. I mean, you know, you never know. Like, you know, certainly here in New York City, the stock market and Wall Street drives, you know, drives the bus a lot. But um, a place that a place that I think is wonderful and is new. And again, Pete Wells put it on his top 10 list is Mr. Donahue's, which is on maybe Mulberry Street. It's somewhere in Soho. And um, and the um, the team, the great team behind Uncle Boone's, which is a really terrific Thai restaurant that's not too far from there, opened this tiny little storefront, and it's Americana. Like, you feel like you just wandered into somewhere in the Midwest, maybe a Somebody's couple decades ago. house for Sunday dinner. Yeah, and it's really, it's super affordable. I, I'm not sure. I think the main courses are, and they have, like, a, like a half a roast chicken and this sort of like roast beef thing and some maybe some fried fish. I don't think any of those are over twenty dollars. They're really um, they're fantastic. In um, Brooklyn, if you can get to Brooklyn, I think Olmstead is maybe besides Le Cuckoo, like one of the great openings of this year. It's in it's right in that sort of Prospect Park hood, and um, and they do these. You can do. I'm not even sure if you can do prefix. I think it's an a la carte menu, which really helps you know that, you know, which helps you figure out how much you can spend on stuff. But they do, I guess, like a carrot cannelloni that I would call it as one of my favorite dishes of the year. It's fantastic. And it is super affordable. Great suggestions. I wonder if you, where you sit in Bloomberg Pursuits, you're surrounded by so much of the, like, smart, of-the-minute Bloomberg News groups. Mm-hmm. What... What do you? What's the? What's the feeling looking forward to 2017 when you're sitting at your desk in the newsroom? In terms <laughs> of um, general outlook, are there tech trends that you think are coming? Are there? That's a good question. You know what? There is. I will say honestly, as someone who is not who not definitely not in the business world at Bloomberg, I think every day is like a new. <laughs> every day is a new adventure. Um, what's funny is they get a news feed about people who I sit behind in TV and next to in the live news segment get news about 90 seconds before it goes up on a TV screen. So all of a sudden you'll, they'll be like, Kanye, Kanye, Kanye. And you think, did he go back into rehab? And it turns out, no, he's at Trump Tower interviewing maybe for a cabinet post (laughs) or not. Um, But so you hear like a lot of news, but I think everybody is, um, I, I don't, it's a really good question they don't have an answer to. I, I think that there's a lot of nobody knows exactly what's coming. It's going to be it's going to be a very different new year, I would say. But I don't we don't really know what's in it. I was recently interviewed about trends for 2017 in the food tech space. And one of the things that I was recalling is particularly in New York City, you know, regardless of which side of the political line you're on or where you you know fit in terms of your allegiances, I think we can all agree that 
the election has created a really unusual situation right now in that, to your point, 2017 is really a big unknown. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things we don't know about. We don't know what's coming in terms of policy and finance and Wall Street and money and international trade. Historically, when the public is a little unsure or it's unknown or maybe they're worried, we find that cycles back into like comfort food trends. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look back at, you know, post 9-11 or the last, you know, recession, the last bubble burst, that's when we start to see the upswing of trends with, you know, the bistro food, the comfort food. Do you think that that potentially might be coming or are we just always talking about burger and pizza and pasta now every day anyway, that those comfort foods are built into our food language and they're here to stay? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, so much, some, you know, I want to say so much of it depends on sort of how the markets do, but that's not really true. I mean, if the markets really tank, at least in the Bloomberg world that I live in now, if, if the markets were to go down, that has a pretty fast, that will have like a pretty fast effect on some restaurants. But other restaurants, you know, it, it's not like all of a sudden someone decides to open a restaurant and then in two weeks it's open. Like, there's been like a lot of time and planning that goes into them. That's a good point. So we're not going to so, see anything opening in 2017 that hasn't already been probably on the books not. and planned out for at least a year or two years. Probably not. And as you say, like, it's hard to imagine that that our diet can be more comfort food than it already is. I mean, almost every restaurant has a burger on the menu, like whether it seems like it belongs there or not. Um, pizza. Pizza is huge. There are so many fantastic options for pizza. And not pizza. going away, it seems, either. Is and now we seem rubber? to be... It was really very much, for a while, the Neapolitan-style pizza. Now we're getting the squared pizza and the different kinds of pizza yeah, and pizza no. segments. Exactly. You know, there's like a Midwest or Detroit-style pizza at a place like Emmy Squared, which I just adore, which I also want to throw that back to... Um, to Matthew, if you can get to Brooklyn, Brooklyn, I mean, Brooklyn's not as much cheaper as you want it to be, but a place like Emmy Squared, which makes this fantastic pizza and these great guys called Gotham Burger Social Club, who I think have their finger on the best burger situation, but are great eaters in general, have called out the um, burgers. It's not just pizza at both Emmy and Emmy Squared. I would totally get over there. And I think, um, I think also... I wish there was more exciting ethnic food in New York City, but I think it's sort of creeping up. There's a place called Fish Cheeks, which is in, um, I think it's on Bond Street, but it's somewhere in like downtown New York. There's a place called Little Fish Pearl. Fish Cheeks is Thai. Fish Cheeks is Thai. There's a place called Little Pearl that is it, I can't remember what um, what the provenance is, but it's a funky, cool little place that is... Um, that has this like great dynamic Asian food. I really like what's happening at Mission Chinese Food. The chef um, Angela Demiuga is Filipino. I think she's putting more and more Filipino. Yeah, she's putting. Um, so I feel like there is. I think maybe the comfort food trend will manifest itself. Maybe hopefully in a, broad, a broader spectrum of ethnic restaurants. So going into the tech space, if if people want to find out what you're thinking about and where you're eating and what you like right now. Kate is on Instagram at kcrater. She's also on Twitter and Facebook. How much do you rely on social media, your different social media feeds, looking at other people's to discover places, find places? Would there be something that had such a groundswell of support that you would steer away from it? 
Um, that's a really good question. You know, I think I think it depends a little bit. I think like everybody, sometimes your your feed just blows up, and you know that everybody everybody is somewhere. You know, something somebody. I'm trying to think. Of Union a Square example. Hospitality, uh, the reopening of Union Square Cafe. I feel like Instagram is being dominated by that right now because mm-hmm. they just opened this week. They just opened. There's um, a carrot. There's a pasta with a sort of roasted carrot sauce. I'm not sure if it's the most beautiful dish, but it's delicious. Pasta always does well on Instagram. Um, so I feel like I've seen a lot, a lot of that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. There's a, the burger at Augustine, which has these like scotch-infused onions and a lot of melty cheese on it. Is um, I've seen a ton of that on Instagram as well. I, I feel like I'm I sometimes get a little turned off if I see something on Instagram so much, too much, I think I'm already sick of it. I'm already sick of it before I've tasted it. Um, but every once in a while, especially if something seems a little, little little idiosyncratic and you don't you just see like a couple versions of it. Like I remember this happened when Wild Air, a restaurant that I love, a wine bar on the Lower East Side, they had a potato cake with uni on it. And I didn't, it, it wasn't everywhere, but I saw one or two, um, one or two pictures of it. And I thought, that's really cool. You know, sometimes like it's the, it's one of the great things about Instagram is that it can really like pique your imagination. You know, you can't always taste it. And some of those, I think everyone's probably a little sick of the food porn pictures and the, um, the slow-mo video of the slow-mo video the of giant cheese, burger, yeah. cheesy knife yeah. going into something. I actually fast forward those now. I can't, I really can't watch those anymore. And even like the pasta as cool as it is to see strands of, of endlessly long pasta lifted up. I, um, I can't always look at those anymore. I, I feel like, you know, they've reached saturation in the way that coffee, you know, like how many cups of coffee can you look at? Um, but every once in a while you see one and you think, oh, like that's fantastic. I think that actually happened with Lilia. They did a Malfadina with pink peppercorns that was um, a, a sort of version of carbonara. And the very first time I saw that, it wasn't, it wasn't dominating social media, but a couple people posted it. And I was like, I want to have that right now. Is it part of your job to post? Do you do it personally, um, per- personally, professionally? Why, thank you for asking. I do it. Um, sometimes I post. I feel like there's a couple different reasons behind posting. Like sometimes I post to say I was there. Sometimes I post because I truly, truly love a dish. Even if it's not a great picture, you feel like you have to represent it. And then there's the quandary that I've talked about with my friends a lot when there's an extraordinarily gorgeous dish, but it's not great. And then you have to sort of weigh, like, do you post it because it looks like you're it, it looks like you're it's a validation to write like a long post saying this is really pretty but i didn't really love it do is people that too read the long posts i don't think so i mean you know what? i think for some people they do some people have made um have made a reputation for themselves as telling a little story like With humans of new york for example humans of new york is an excellent example humans of new york is an excellent example um I feel like for myself, I'm not someone who's going to tell a long story with my Instagram post. And so usually, even if something's beautiful, I almost never post it if I don't, if I don't really believe in that dish, because I think you have to believe in the pictures that you post. But um, I also post for Bloomberg Pursuits, which is, um, which also has like a good mix of like cars and watches and stuff. And so I try and mix it up um, between those two. What do you think the strongest social media platform is right now? You know, everyone, um, 
Is it Twitter? Have we refocused back to Twitter after Instagram was really the darling for so long? Is Twitter getting more traction just because it's... I feel like post-election, so many people have so many things to say on like every side of every subject. I um, am paying a lot more attention to Twitter than I used to. I think that I think there's a lot of news and a lot of information there and just a lot of voices. Like if you want to hear what people are saying. And I also think there is nothing like following a big event on Twitter, whether it's the election, whether it's the Super Bowl, whether if you like soccer, whether it's like following a soccer game. If you when you hear in real time what people are saying and posting and observing about something is fantastic. I, I do. I'm a huge Instagram fan because I love pictures, even if sometimes you want to edit it more aggressively, like even if your feed sometimes is too much. I love um, getting a sense of where people are. It's such a great scrapbook. And I think Snapchat is really fun, too. Um, I like Snapchat better than Instagram stories, but a lot of people love Instagram stories right now. I don't think Instagram's going away anytime soon. No. Agreed. So do you think that the trends, the wide open possibilities of trends for 2017, is that because of the climate of 2017? Or is it that because in our food life, we've become so broad and have so many options and have such a large bandwidth of knowledge and choices and points of view that it's really difficult to pinpoint any one thing. I think I think that's a huge part of it, actually. I think it's like cable television. You know, there used to be like four or five shows, four or five channels, and that was that was basically your choice unless you had some kind of um, a supersonic um, antenna. 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 Which or, is the metal thing that went on the roof or on the top of your TV back in the day. Yeah. Or a dish or a satellite dish. But basically you watched you watched news that came from like four or five channels and now there's like an infinite number of channels and if you just want to watch like the World Series from the 70s, there's a channel for that. And if you just want to watch someone cooking Filipino food, there's a channel for that. And likewise, I think that um, likewise, I think the restaurant and the food scene is wide open and it's wide open across the country, whereas really, um, especially when I was at Food and Wine, we would always like look around the country. But most of the action was going to be in a couple big cities like Chicago. You were eyes on Chicago. You were eyes on San Francisco. And now you look around. Now you're like Indianapolis could be like the next food hub. Philadelphia has so much going on. And so it's partly that it's partly that we're we're a country and especially in New York, a city that's increasingly diverse. And there's an audience of people who want to try like a super authentic um, Filipino dish or Thai dish at this. You know, I mentioned I got to be on this panel for Bloomberg that was um, promoting the Asian community. And Floyd Cardoz was talking about how he just put a dish on the menu at his awesome restaurant, Pao Wallo, that um, is a pork stew, but it's got like pork liver and pork blood in it. And it's a dish he couldn't even have dreamed of putting on the menu when he was at Tabla, which is a Danny Meyer restaurant that was opened at Madison Square Park um, about a decade or so ago. And now he's at a little restaurant in Soho and people are searching for more authentic food because it's like traveling almost sometimes to eat this food. And so it's a dish that he can actually serve now and there's an audience for it. Well, I'm looking forward to 2017. Me too. Is there what's one thing that's on the top, top, top of your list that you're most excited about? 
Wow. Just the one thing that makes you really happy and excited when you think about it. Um, I'm excited. I've always been a big fan of um, of Mario Carbone and Rich Teresi, and they're bringing the Four Seasons back um, next year. And I have to say, I think, as someone who grew up in New York, who um, who appreciates you know, what a legacy place like that is and who believes in those guys. I think it's going to be really exciting. I think that's going to do a lot to talk about the landscape of the restaurant scene next year. That sounds good. Thank you. I want to thank Kate Crater for coming out for our last episode of 2016. I want to thank all of our guests for 2016. We had a really great year. If you missed an episode or if you're going to miss us while we are on our winter hiatus, you can go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or your favorite podcasting platform and get Tech Bytes, subscribe to it and download the episodes. If you really love us, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart and, you know, throw us what you spent on coffee today. It'll help us make more radio. It'll make 2017 great. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. I will see you, hear you, talk to you next year. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.